Morning, church. I'm happy to be back with you after being sick with a cold last Sunday, but I was kind of with you in spirit, watching the services on live stream. Probably most of you know this, but if you don't, we live stream all three services now. So you can, if you're sick or you're out of town, can't find a church, you can go to our website. There's a link there. You can click it, and you can watch any of the services live. And I, I really enjoyed that. I really appreciate the people who sit up close because what you see, if you ever watch it live stream, you can see the guy who's speaking. By the way, Scott did a great job, and I, I was blessed by his message. You can see the guy who's speaking. You can also you see about the first three or four rows. So a service like this looks good. If everybody's sitting toward the back, it looks like Scott's preaching to an empty house. So just FYI, it's always good to move forward for a lot of different reasons, but that's one of them. I want to talk to you a little bit about re-gifting today. Now, that's re-gifting. You know what that is? When you get a gift, maybe it's uh, your birthday or for Christmas, and you already had one, or you didn't really need it, so you wrap it back up and you give that gift to someone else. That's my theme for the sermon series in December. So I was doing a little research on that, and I read a first-person account of um, a woman who said every year at Christmas, her mom gave her dad an aftershave lotion kit for Christmas. And so he would unwrap and say, well, thank you so much, honey. And then he would never open it or use it throughout the year. He just put it up on a shelf. So every December, mom went back, got it again, wrapped it up, and gave it to him. And every time he opened it up and said, thank you, honey, the wife and the two daughters would just crack up laughing. It took him 10 years to figure out that she was re-gifting him the same aftershave kit. And some of your women are thinking, well, how's that possible? Hey, I can relate. That guy is a kindred spirit. I know exactly how that could happen. Regifting, it sometimes has a negative connotation. Some people think it's cheap or it's inconsiderate. I don't think so at all. It's like recycling with gifts. And I want to put a positive spin on it today, a spiritual spin, and use it in this, this sense. Because we are Christians, and most of us here are, we have received certain gifts from God. And these are wonderful gifts and beautiful gifts that have changed our lives. And we can re-gift those to other people because everybody we know needs the gifts that I'm going to be talking about this month, whether they're believers, Christians, or unbelievers. Everybody needs these gifts. And by the way, since that's our theme, I will be re-gifting a gift every service during the month of December, and you know, the church receives all kinds of things, and a lot of times they just sit up on the shelf and they're never open or used. So this is that gift for this service. First person up at the end of the service can have this gift. Another good reason to sit up here in the front, right, Fred? So, but I promise, it's never been used before, but it's not a white elephant. It's not a gag gift. It is a gift of, of value. So the one I want to talk about this morning, that the gift that we have received from God is the gift of forgiveness. I've got a little outline on the back of your bulletin, but I, I really I only want to say two things this morning about forgiveness. And the first is this. We have received the gift of forgiveness from God. Let's just remember that this morning. We have received the gift of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 and following, Jesus tells a story. The kingdom of heaven, he said, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife and his children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. 
And then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. So, uh, who are the different characters in this? What is the identification of different characters in this story? They're fairly intuitive. The king, of course, represents God. The servant who is in debt represents you and me. And the indebtedness represents our sin debt to God. Before we were forgiven, this was the indebtedness that we'd incurred against God because of our sin against him. And this whole first half of the story here is designed to impress upon us just how deep into the weeds we were with God when it came to our sin. The debt represents, obviously, an unpayable debt. Millions of dollars of debt in this story. Think of that first century culture, how much they would have earned back then. How long is it going to take this guy to pay back millions of dollars to his master? Well, ne forever. He's never going to be able to pay that debt. Just imagine if you had on your personal credit card the equivalent of the national debt. The national debt, what's the national debt for the United States? Trillions of dollars. I don't know exactly what it is. Our minds cannot even really conceive of a trillion, but it's trillions and trillions of dollars. How long is it gonna be, would it take you to pay that? You're never going to be able to pay that. And that's the nature of this fellow's debt and our sin debt to God. Think how horrifying this situation would have been in the servant's mind. Here, through his own carelessness, or we don't know exactly how he got into debt, but through maybe recklessness or his carelessness, maybe he has a gambling problem, maybe he's an addict or something, through his own carelessness and his sin, he has ruined his life. He's going to be sold into slavery. And the life of his wife and of his children, everybody he cares about, he's ruined everybody's lives. And then along comes the master with a willingness to forgive all of that debt. Something we want to get our arms around and integrate into our hearts and our lives, this understanding of what we were forgiven, because if we don't, we're going to have a hard time forgiving people their offenses against us because we will have a sense of entitlement if we don't realize just what it is that God has done for us. What happened to that debt that was forgiven by the king? I mean, it's not specified in this story, but I, I, want, to, I want to get specific about it. I mean, what happened to it? What was someone going to say? The king wrote it off. He just wrote it off. He's a king. He's rich. He can afford to write it off. Uh, but that, team, that, that term's a little bit too vague. You know, in our country, we have bankruptcy laws. You can't go to prison for debt in our country. We have bankruptcy laws. So if you get in over your head, you can go into bankruptcy, and you discharge your debts. You keep your house, you keep your car, and you discharge the rest of your debts. Whatever you owe to the bank, the mortgage company, maybe the car company, maybe a hospital. What happens to those debts? Well, they, they, those entities write them off. We say, well, great, they can afford to, and I can't. But really, somebody's going to pay that debt. Somebody's got to pay. The insurance company's going to pay. The bank's going to pay. Mortgage company's going to pay. Hospitals got to pay. Somebody's got to pay. There may even be people who lose their jobs because they thought you were credit worthy and they took a risk on you and you proved not to be credit worthy. I don't know. But somehow the debt's got to be. Our national debt is going to be, that's going to be called someday. Our country can't even pay that debt, but there will come a day of reckoning. Well, when it comes to this king, well, he just wrote it off, or he just absorbed the debt. That's too vague. The king, of course, suffered the debt. He suffered 
himself the debt of that servant. Never heard anybody say, I'm going to take it out of your hide. Well, that's what happened in this day. It was taken out of God's hide. It was paid, but not with gold or silver or dollars or Bitcoin, right? It was paid, you could say it was paid with cryptocurrency, if you mean the crypt, because it was paid with the blood of Jesus. Then the blood, of course, represents the life of Jesus. So the suffering that Jesus died, six hours of suffering on the cross, that was equivalent to the eternity in hell that each one of us would have suffered, that we would have suffered. He's paying that debt for us on the cross so that we could be forgiven. This is the gracious forgiveness of God on our behalf. This is the good news of the gospel. It's the goodness. When, when, when a preacher in the name of the king of God comes, came to you at some point in your life and said, look, would you like this this debt payment that Jesus made on the cross to be applied to your account personally, your sin debt? And we said, yes. Yes, when we believed and made the good confession, Jesus is Lord, and we repented of our sins, we were baptized into Christ, that was the occasion of our salvation. And at that point in time, God applied the blood of Jesus to our account and washed away all of our sin debt to him. That's the good news. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. I mean, God keeps on forgiving. We walk in the light, John says, the blood of Christ continues to wash away, cleanse us from all sin. It's like if you had type 1 diabetes, maybe you do. My son-in-law has type 1 diabetes. It means his pancreas does not function. And so it doesn't secrete insulin. The pancreas secretes the insulin and regulates the blood sugar in your body. You would, you would die unless you got insulin. So if the doctor gives you an insulin pump, so he's got an insulin pump, so that whenever he uh, eats a, a meal that's in high sugar or car carbohydrates, that pump injects insulin into his bloodstream to mitigate the sugar and then to regulate that sugar. And when he, maybe he's low on sugar, it, it holds back the insulin. So this is a pump that's keeping him alive, regulating the blood sugar in his body. And spiritually, you know, the grace of God and the blood of Christ, it, it's, like a, it's like that artificial pancreas there. It's the, the sugar would be the sin and the insulin is the blood of Christ. And God continues to apply the blood of Christ to our lives and to wipe away our sin. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's ongoing. The gift that keeps giving. Did you read where last month in, in Vermont, in Derby, Vermont, an anonymous man walked into the Walmart and paid off everything that was on layaway in the Walmart. Anybody had anything on layaway in Walmart, paid off. And a, a girl that was working there, when that happened, she asked this man, this anonymous man, who can afford to pay everybody's layaway? He said, Santa Claus can. Well, don't you wish that Santa Claus would visit Vero Beach in our Walmart here and pay off everybody's layaway? What if somebody walked into your life it is paid off all of your debt. Some of you may be debt-free. Good for you. Praise God. But for the rest of us, what if somebody walked in your life and said, I'm going to pay off all of your debt. You owe a student loan? Bring it over here. You got a mortgage? Bring it to me. You got credit card bills? You got something with a hospital over there? Just bring me all your bills, and I'm going to pay them off. And I'm going to give you my personal credit card, by the way. If there's something you need moving forward, 
I've got, a, I've got you covered. You will never again be in debt. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, what a great feeling that would be, totally debt-free. Well, obviously, spiritually speaking, that's exactly what has happened to us, that God has moved into our lives, and he has paid all of our sin debt, and he was happy to do it. He loved doing that. That's exactly what he wanted to do. God is love. God is love. He never wanted us to pay our sin debt, our own selves, on our own account. He wants to forgive us. He wants to pay our debt with the blood of Christ. So every day for a Christian is like Christmas. Every day is like Christmas for us because our sins have been washed away. We stand before God with no indebtedness. And one day when we die, we're going to go before God, and we will not be in debt to him. All our accounts are settled. We are good with God. No condemnation. Now, you knew all that. That's a prelude. We just finished a sermon series, Amazing Grace. We've been talking about how God has forgiven us all of this sin. But it bears repeating. It just bears repeating. We want to always emphasize this in our lives. We have received a gift from God. Grace, a gift that brings joy, the gift of forgiveness. So, second thing I want to say. Having received the gift of forgiveness from God, that's one of the things we can re-gift to others. We can give others the gift of forgiveness. Jesus continues the story in verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor would not wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Okay, so God has treated us well indeed with grace. You know, grace is treating someone the opposite of how they deserve to be treated. So we deserved one thing, the punishment, the eternal punishment. God not only forgave us, but he adopted us into his family as sons and daughters, and he's promised us eternal life in heaven. That's the opposite of what we deserve. That's, that's our gift. So what does God expect from us in return? Well, obviously, God expects us to relate to all other people on the basis of grace. And in particular, you know, a grace life. Paul, Scott was talking last week about how grace is expressed. A, a, gra a life of grace is expressed primarily in two ways, is, is in giving and in forgiving. And I'm focusing right here on giving the gift of forgiveness. God expects us to relate to all other people who've sinned against us with gracious forgiveness, the gift of forgiveness. You have heard of the golden rule. Uh, what's the golden rule? Do on others as you would have others do to you. Treat other people the way you want to be treated, the golden rule. Well, this is the gracious rule. And the gracious rule is do to others as God has done to you. Treat other people the way God has treated you. And that is always with grace 
and forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, this may be the opposite of what some people deserve. Probably is, but that's how grace operates. Remember, the story that we read, Jesus' story that he told about this unforgiving servant was in response to a question that Peter asked. Now, I didn't read that part of it, but Peter's question was the springboard for this story. And here's the question in verse 21. Lord, Peter said, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jesus replied, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. It's this gracious standard. Now, where do we need this? Well, one place that we, we really need it, maybe more than anywhere else, is in our own family, in marriage. Uh, Richard and Deb Rusin this morning, they're going to celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary tomorrow. They were in the first service, and uh, I said, you know, if you've been married to someone for 30 years, 10, 20, 30 years or more. You start to get to know your spouse's idiosyncrasies, right? And sometimes those can be, could be potentially a little bit irritating. If you're like me and Tammy, you basically married your opposite. Married your opposite. So you got a spender and you got a saver. You got someone who likes to sleep with a ceiling fan on full blast and another one who just irritates their allergies. You got one who likes the blooming onion and one who likes the cheese fries. Yeah, one who wants to get a cat or a dog, and I say, no way, I'm not going to get a pet. So now these kinds of things, if there's not that elixir of gracious forgiveness lubricating the relationship, then these are the kinds of things that can lead to big, big problems in a relationship. Now, I don't know if you ever read the, the crime section of the paper, I'm drawn to it for some perverse reason. But it's interesting to me how often when the police are called to a domestic dispute, the tipping point was something that seems so ridiculous. Now, let me just give you a sampling from our little newspaper, the T.C. Palm. Uh, uh, last month in Port St. Lucie, quote, son, 26, mad over having to make his own lunch in brawl with dad, end quote. Had to make his own lunch. Here's another one. Man arrested after rubbing burger on his wife's face, police say. The burger brouhaha went, uh, began as boss and his wife. Now, what husband is, is named boss? But that's named boss and his wife started arguing. And he called her names, and she poured soda on his hamburger, and he rubbed the hamburger on her face and started throwing food. All right, there's that. Here's another one. Man accused of threatening lazy son with baseball bat. 64-year-old Janowitz was upset with his 45-year-old son because the son wouldn't help him move a television into the yard. It just seems silly, doesn't it? And here's the final one. In Stewart, a man was arrested for swearing at his preacher during the church service. Don't even think about it. <laughs> that is beyond the pale. Now, we laugh about that, but in, you know, because it's funny, but truly, in a family... In a family that's going to work, any family that's going to work, there has to be a standard of unlimited grace and forgiveness with each other. There's a qualifier for that. I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But sometimes, these are kind of silly, 
Sometimes, though, some things happen to us or are done to us or our spouse, our children, our family that seem beyond the pale. Say, wait, man, okay, that's fine for that, Steve, but listen, if you, could, if you knew what happened to me, there's no way anyone would ever expect me to forgive them for what they did. Not even God expects that. And, and that may not be applicable. To, maybe we got a lot of seasoned Christians here who can say, there's nobody in my life or my heart that I have not forgiven, and I hope that's the case. But sometimes we may have somebody who's struggling with this, or we may get to a point where we struggle with this. We simply want to remember this gracious standard. Nobody is outside this 70 times 7. Nobody's beyond this pale. Let me give you a, what I think is a really good example of this. On October 2nd, 2006, Charles Roberts walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, and killed five schoolgirls before killing himself. Some of you may remember when this happened. His actions shocked the country. Yet, the story that shook the public even more is that hours after the shooting, Amish neighbors reached out to Roberts' wife and three children with compassion. They made it clear that they, have, they held no malice toward Roberts and desired reconciliation with his family. And days later, members of the Amish community attended Roberts' funeral and set up a fund to help support his wife and his children. A spokesman for the Amish said, quote, we grieve our losses and forgive our enemies at the same time. In fact, we grieve not only for their losses, but also for the evildoer's sin. That's the wellspring of Christian forgiveness. You're really grieving over your enemy's sins, end quote. Marie Roberts, the shooter's widow, wrote this note to the Amish. She wrote, quote, Our family wants each of you to know that we are overwhelmed by your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy that you have extended to us. Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. Well, that's the power of the grace of God of forgiveness, the power to change the world. There may be somebody in your life who needs desperately your forgiveness. Now, I want to I mention two qualifiers for what we've said. Qualifier number one. Just because we forgive someone doesn't mean the relationship has been restored or that trust has been restored. There's nothing particularly Christian about being gullible or foolish. We can forgive and establish boundaries at the same time. For instance, you may have had an experience where there's a, an addict in the family, a drug addict or an alcoholic, and they may, maybe they go through recovery and they come for forgiveness. And may, will you forgive me? Yes, absolutely. But you set up boundaries to begin to reestablish a trusting relationship. In fact, there's organizations like Al-Anon for family members of addicts that help them to practice love, but it's tough love so they don't become codependents and enablers of that person. If there's an, an adultery in a marriage and the offending partner repents and comes to his partner or her partner and says, I, I'm, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Yes, forgive. But at the same time, there will need to be boundaries set up and a process for reestablishing trust. And this is one of the things a good marriage counselor will do. Is you go to that counselor and says, well, here's how we're going to put transparency back in this relationship. And over time, and it's going to take time, and both people rebuilding 
the trust. So we can forgive. That doesn't mean there's restoration until trust has been restored. Boundaries can be in place. That's qualifier number one. Qualifier number two has to do with the civil government. Sometimes when a crime has been committed, the civil government gets involved and there are penalties and punishments. And the civil government is the institution that God has created to represent his holy, wrathful side. God is a God of love and and of mercy and forgiveness. God is also a God of justice and and holiness and wrath. And the civil government is that institution that, that represents God in that way in this life. So we can forgive an offender, but they may still have a price to pay. And those are not in conflict. I was reading an article about a rapist. He had raped six women. One of the women he had raped, he had raped two times in the space of 12 months. He was caught. The headline of the article read, Woman forgives rapist, judge doesn't. And when you read into the article, the rapist was sentenced to 88 years, and the his, one of his victims, a Christian, was quoted as saying, I forgive him, but I'm glad he's in prison. There's no contradiction there. She's doing what she was supposed to do, forgive. The judge was doing what he's supposed to do. So God has instituted the civil government to represent, represent the sword of justice. But he has, represented, he has created a different group to represent his grace and mercy and forgiveness And that group is the church, made up of individual Christians. We in the church do not bear the sword of justice. We bear the banner of the cross. We remember God has changed our lives with his gracious forgiveness. And when we give that gift to others, we will change their lives too. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want you to remind us of these two things this morning. Through the power of your spirit, Help us to remember and appreciate anew your gracious gift of forgiveness that brings us joy into our lives, knowing that Jesus has paid all of our sins, our debts, our lies, our disloyalty, our harsh words, our betrayals. All of that has been paid by the suffering of Jesus on the cross. We stand before you debt-free. We also ask, Lord, you will remind us of this gracious 